Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. of the Jesus and Paula show. We are back live in our studio last week. Wow, we had uh, such a great flashback to the hard reset and the message, the teaching actually, that wasn't the original sermon, but that was a teaching Dr. Price did at a prophetic ed in Joliet, Illinois, Antioch Christian Assembly under Apostle Nona Parker. It was a great, great broadcast. Hope you all saw it. If you didn't, go back and revisit that while it is still available to you. So welcome to today's show. Share, share, share. Tell your friends. Dr. Price is going to bring the word. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be life-changing because our lives are always changed with this revelation. But make sure if you have not done so already, and in a moment we'll play the commercial for you, but for this year's Near Summit, the Apostolic Summit, November 17th through the 20th here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the theme this year is the mind of a principality. And Dr. Price said in a meeting on Tuesday, she said, I'm pushing the envelope at this year's summit on how the body of Christ needs to get involved in the political leadership arena of the world in order for us to bring back the nation, to bring back the church. There's a statement. She makes so many statements uh, in our broadcast. But one of them that Dr. Price says is, you can have a nation without a church. You cannot have a church without a nation. The church, we're fighting for home, domestic, home, home, home. I want my church to be this way. I want my ministry to be whatever. But if we don't fight to preserve what makes the United States the United States, we will be a moot point. Laws are already on the books for us to be wiped out. You should study communism. You should study socialism. You should study those two things to really understand what those agendas look like. We are in what is called a Cold War. And the Cold War is somebody's, nobody's dropping bombs on cities you know, yet or whatever. That's not happening, but it's a war of government. It's a war of changing policy, changing procedure, changing how things are done. So even if a bullet is never exchanged, nations are brought down and resurrected as something else during what is called a Cold War. And so we're in that phase. You should study uh, the well, Russia and what happened with them, USSR. You should study what has happened with some of the other countries on the planet to understand are, as the body of Christ and as a nation, we do not have the luxury, especially as bona fide apostles and prophets, of sticking our head in the sand and saying, we're just going to hide out in our prayer closet, we're just going to pray, and God will fix it. He'll fix it. Well, they say, well, he'll fix Obama. They said that. Well, he'll fix Biden. He'll do whatever. What are you kidding me? He put us on the planet for us to be the custodians and the intermediaries and the warriors to see to it that certain things don't happen. So we have to come out of that mentality of, well, business as usual. We're waiting for things to go back to the way they were. Everyone under the sun, 
whether they serve the devil or the Lord Jesus Christ, has said, the old is not coming back. It's not. We see by businesses that aren't coming back, ministries that are not coming back, family members that are not coming back. This is a new age, and the COVID cover story is only the surface to really be the red herring as to the other major agenda that's happening. Am I saying that people are not really sick? Of course not. I mean, people are really sick. What, what, what in the world would that be? But red herring is to get us chasing this over here so all of our focus is over here. And even when we see something else crazy going on, we're like, well, that's not really deep because it's not this thing. Just stay over here. Just focus over here. Just focus over here. We have all kinds of immigrants in this nation who are just everywhere. (coughs) We don't know. Safety issues, health issues. We know what's going on in the Mexican border. Oh, don't look at that. Just look over here. Uh, The other things that are happening in government, don't look over there. Just look over here. And always misdirecting. This is a misdirection campaign, if ever I have seen one. And this year, the mind of a principality, what does it mean to be a principality? And again, not just in our prayer closet, because we love being all powerful and just, you know, doing uh, as he is, so are we in this world. We're going to say it. We say it in church, but our apostle is training us to become it. Not just to say it, because boy, can we chant. We can chant. We can say so many things, can't we, from the pulpit. We can say them from the pew. We can say them from broadcast and then go and do nothing. One of Dr. Price's hot, hot, hot buttons is this. We go to rallies. We go to meetings. People get amped up. We go to conferences. Yes, we get amped up. We get laid out. And we don't have a plan. We don't have a strategy. We don't have instructions. We don't have directives on what to do past those moments. And the summit is to give us the do. What are we to do in our community, in our church? Maybe you have a church and you don't know what to do. Uh, In our cities, maybe you're a city official, you're a God-fearing, serving. Maybe you're not, but you just want somebody who has the answers and the boldness to save our republic. So some of the key, uh, the things that will be addressed at this year's summit and you can actually look it up at drpaulaaprice.com slash events is the, the schedule and the, the keynote speakers and their subjects. So, of course, there's Dr. Paula Price who will be teaching all day Thursday and Thursday evening about that principality piece. How do we become principalities in the earth, the principality power that we walk in? And uh, Friday is John Guandolo, and we're going to be highlighting each of our speakers in the weeks leading up to it so you know what their expertise is and what they're bringing. He's teaching on how the church can participate in saving the nation, not just how we can pray about saving the nation. How can we participate in saving the nation? He's going to have a, uh, a teaching session and then a workshop activity section so we can get put to work on becoming and being the solution, not just in our prayer closet, bless the Lord, not just at home with our friends, not in the safety of our churches, but actually out there. I will be teaching on scriptures authoring mantles, one of my favorite subjects in the whole wide world, scriptures authoring mantles being that of the apostle and the prophet and our role and what our role has historically been and then how that applies in the present. Apostle Stephen Holt Sr. has been added to the summit lineup. And he will be teaching on the apostle's seat at world tables. Because, well, 
That is his thing. The apostles seat at world tables. And for the dignitaries dinner on Wednesday night will be John Bennett, who is the chairman of the Oklahoma Republican Party. He's speaking on saving our republic. The war has come to our front door. We would be 100% remiss if we took this opportunity to gather at the summit and not address the actual issues that are fighting to destroy the body of Christ and our nation. You destroy our nation, you destroy the body of Christ as we know it. Now, you can't ever wipe it out. There are nations. See, but you need to study communist nations and how the church has to go underground in communist nations, how social media is a freedom in this country. It is not a freedom in every country. You are not in every country. You can, in China, you cannot just get online and say whatever you want to say without your life being jeopardized. You don't even have access to information. Free information, constitution, that is an American, the United States of American right. That is not a global human right. And we don't know how that is being fought to be taken from us. And so in this year's summit, you should come ready, ready to do work, ready to do something. Now, the power of God moves. We will have praise and worship, as you know. We have praise and worship. We have prayer. We pray. The Spirit of God moves. He flows. He flies. He does whatever he wants to do, lays everybody out, picks us up all over again. But this subject we cannot avoid and will not avoid. Because that's not who we are. We are under a chief apostle who understands the role of apostleship, the job of apostleship, the power and authority in the mantle, the access that the mantle has in Christ. But what the mandate is on earth is what we're addressing. And so if you're an apostolic Christian, which would be, well, everybody who's saved under Jesus Christ, whether you recognize it or not, you are invited to join us. Should I come if I'm not an apostle? Yes. Should I come if I'm not a prophet? Yes. Should I come if I'm a politician? Yes. If you hate politics, yes. Come on. Because you, what you hate is the misuse of politics. But we need it. We need to be political. We just need to be righteous and do it for God. How we got here is we preach that this is no place for the real body of Christ to be in. Now, it's not everybody's place, but there's certainly a lot of people's places. Samuel was in a high seat of government. Joseph, David, we know David was king, highest seat of officials. We just got out of the book of Genesis with our youth group. Joseph, number two in the nation under Pharaoh. Scripture says that Pharaoh looked to him as a father. That's so serious. Daniel, powerful governor in his land, powerful governor. So there is so much biblical precedence for us to be involved in government. It was Joseph who was in a position to save the nations. David was put to rule the nation, to keep them out of exile, to keep the enemies at bay, to defeat the warriors, to defeat. Abraham had to fight kings. He had to fight nations. He wasn't just praying off in a corner waiting for God to do it. Lord, just wait. We're just going to pray. We're just going to pray, Father, we just pray for you, Lord. You are the Lord of the breakthrough. And we say all the things that he is. You are great Jehovah. You are a warrior. Yes, he is. But he has put us on earth to be the keeper here. And he has infused us with his power, and we're going to do something about that. So we're going to play this very quick commercial for you about this year's summit, how you can register, and what you need to do to join the ranks to become and understand the mind of a principality.
And we're back. Make sure that you are part of our mailing list. You can go to drpaulaaprice.com and subscribe to our mailing list so you stay in touch with all the things that are going on. We started sending out emails as well, follow-up from Thursday and Sunday sermon, Thursday's broadcast, to remind you of what was said today in case you missed it. We send you to YouTube to watch the replay and also to remember what the code is, the discount code with the specialist. Oh, do I know what the specialist is today? I don't know if I know what that is today. I'm sure I'll find out before we're done. <laughs> uh, what today's sale or discount is, and also in that email reminding you to sign up or register for this year's summit. I tell you what, so many amazing things are happening here at the embassy in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Bless God. This week already, Dr. Price has made connections, more political connections in the city to make change, to put things back in the hand and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ through his people in powerful position not just behind the pulpit, but also in those seats of leadership. And then Tuesday night, we also had a couple's dinner. Now, let me tell you something. There's a, there's a witness in the room. We're going to be rolling out at the top of 2022. I have to think what year we're in. The top of 2022, because <laughs> they're rolling, all right, about Dr. Price's marriage construction and reconstruction program. There are a lot of people who have a lot of opinions about what they think she thinks about marriage. But I tell you, you don't know. And we're going to roll out some sneak peeks, some previews about the wisdom of marriage that Dr. Price has. She officiated a wedding in our ministry earlier this year. And, I mean, she was so powerful in what she said during the vows and about marriage and the spirit of marriage. We were like, I need my notebook. Whether you're married or single, I need my notebook because if you're somebody who hopes or wants to be married one day, now is the time to get counseling, actually, before you're yoked up because you might actually choose somebody different if you know what you're getting into. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. The wisdom that she rolled out, I said to her, I said, you know, what we heard was about the genuine biblical love of marriage and not romance. Because a lot of times we think romance is love. We think the whining and the dining and the wooing and the enticing and saying all the right things at all the right times is love. But that's the romance. So you should study romance because it's actually a little scary when you talk about the deity behind that man. Anything with man in it isn't God. And so we're hooked on the romance, and we've been taught that's, the, that's love. If you get the butter, oh, he just walks in the room and I just get butterflies, that must be love. Listen, that could be last night's dinner, not settling well, okay? <laughs> that could just be pure carnal attraction, just pure carnal attraction, which has nothing to do with anything that God said about your life or about marriage. She talks about the spirit of marriage and what makes a woman a wife and what makes a man a husband. Look, there's another witness, the witness in the room, Rachel's back here, and she's like, my God, she broke it down. She talks about the things that you can say that will kill the spouse in your spouse. And so you're off blaming your spouse for being some kind of we don't even know what, but it was you who did it, and you don't even know it. It was you who said something or did something repeatedly, and you don't even know that you killed the spouse in your spouse. I'm telling you, I was like, Jesus. 
There's wisdom in waiting. Hallelujah. How many people do I know my age? I'm 42 years old. My age on their second or third marriage. Or at least one failed marriage under their belt. So for the whole agenda to be just do it, just do it, just do it, the, the failure rate in the institution as far as the way it is done now is way too high for the current methods that are being used to still be repeated. There's a, there's a fault in the methodology of how we put people together. We said the fault is in marriage, right? Because that's what the world says. Well, you know, it's so terrible, it's so awful. This is why I'm not getting married. This is why we dish and This is why whatever. Mm-mm. It's not the institution that's the issue. It's how we put people in it that is clearly faulty. We don't train people to work through their problems. You just dump the people. She talked about this on Tuesday. I heard a woman say one time, well, who make a good first husband? <laughs> oh, oh, wow. So you already on your way out. Well, I mean, they're, 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 you know, they're good, you know, play wife. First, uh, the wife of my youth. And then there's the wife of my middle age and the wife of my latter. I mean, there are people who think they get into it with the, with the exit strategy in mind. Yeah. It's called divorce. And so she broke it down on Tuesday night, and she has a whole book. Oh, we should have brought it. It's in her office. Man, it's in her office to show you she has the marriage construction and reconstruction that is just second to none. She has what she calls marriage math. Because numbers don't lie. <laughs> she said, because numbers don't lie. Marriage math, when I tell you this chief apostle doesn't play around. And, again, but this is the role of the apostle, because the apostle is supposed to be the, the soulologist, dealing with the soul of a marriage, the soul of a person. And, and it just blows my mind every time. I've been with her for 21 years, and way back when I was in college, we had this level of training, uh, which is why we could wait and have a different rationale and reasoning behind why we do or what we don't do, in, especially in that area of marriage. I'm just talking about you and Tuesday night and everything. I'm talking about you. Yeah. Can we, can we show them the book real quick, the flip book? Okay, somebody, somebody. Rachel. Yeah, because you know where it is. Oh, yeah. Okay, oh, yeah, you're going to switch over to her. Okay, yeah. And so marriage, I'm telling you, it is revolutionary. And I have not met, well, maybe one person who may sometimes uh, got mad. But for the most part, 99.9% of people, our couples walked out of that dinner. (laughs) Bless their heart. Yeah, I mean, knowing that for those who needed to repair how their marriage is going to make it. We have the, the majority of the couples in our church have been married for a long time, at least 30 years, 30, let me see, 30, 38, 42, some of them 16. And then we have, huh? yeah, and then we have some of the younger uh, marriages. And the, 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 it was great for our younger couples and newer couples to hear the seasoned ones talk about what it took to get to that point of longevity. Bless God. And so they did a survey. <laughs> Right. They did a survey. <laughs> the tech, we just haven't. Well, shift. we got one married woman that was there. So how was the survey to you, darling? Oh, my. She's waved her hands. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, okay. Do you want to hear her feedback? Or yeah, yeah, you want to give your feedback? Here. 
We appreciate the witness. I would say probably the biggest impact that was on me was spousal envy and how you can kind of feel like you're the inferior one a lot of times. And there's even even between both of both spouses on both sides. On both sides, you can feel like the inferior one, and you can feel like, you know, well, really, what it is is that they really admire you, and they just don't know how to express that. Mm -hmm. And so, and even within myself, recognizing some of the things, you know, my husband that I'm like, man, I wish I had that quality. I wish I had that, and and then you act out in a way that's not uh, showing that you appreciate that mm-hmm. that characteristic or attribute about them. And so you just go back and forth with each other, not recognizing how much you appreciate and love one another and how much you like the qualities about them. Even as we've matured in our relationship, we've been married for 12 years, but we've been together for 20. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it's, we're growing and we're maturing and we're not really necessarily showing each other the appreciation of the maturity that we have gained. And so that was a major, major thing for me because, and I'm still like, I don't know if I see that a little messed up on that because I'm like, wait, what? What is happening? So I just really appreciated bringing those things out because you sometimes you get stuck and you don't know why you're stuck. Mm-hmm. But some of the answers that you gave and the wisdom that you gave really brought to light those stuck places. So you appreciated, of course, I know you. Yes. Of course I know you. Yes. All those points. Yes. What did you think about the couple scores, the whole idea of the couple scores, them discovering their score? Yeah, uh, that, that was humbling. <laughs> <laughs> Very humbling. Because the survey, the, I mean, some of those questions is like, you know, and I and when I was doing it, I was like, okay, how many times out of ten do I do this when I was reading those survey questions? And there were times I was like, oh, I don't do that far Ever. enough. <laughs> or, 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 or at all, exactly, or at all. And so that that was really humbling to even think about, Wow, okay. So there's actually some sort of system, a gauging system that you could say, okay, there's these things that we should be doing in our relationship that we're not or not doing enough Mm -hmm. contributing to the factors of why things are challenging or why we're stuck. And some of the couples just said we weren't doing this at all. <laughs> like exactly, not it, some Ever. of those things were not even questions or yeah. even things to think, consider, or ask. Especially when you were, you know, when like us, we were just friends. Mm-hmm. So the relationship just kind I, of just got upgraded. <laughs> you know, it just, just got some paper on it. That's it. We just put some paper on it. Exactly. It. So it just kind of paper on progressed and upgraded. And so we're like, we, you know, you stay in that friend friend zone even in your marriage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that, that was a huge realization for me is staying in the friend zone. Mm-hmm. Well, we're not supposed to be in the friend zone. <laughs> well, that, it's, it's, 
but you know, if you stay in the friend zone, and then we'll look at the book, but if you stay in the friend zone, then you are no better than anyone else they call a friend. Exactly. Exactly. So then you are psychologically lumped in the behaviors and attitudes and expectations that you have for all your friends. You might be my best friend. Yes, exactly. Okay? But, but you never become one because friends aren't expecting to be one. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. So well, that was... She has the book, Rachel. You get to give the... You know, this is her favorite. You know, this is Apostle Ashley's favorite. Come on, you need to move the stuff now because you know you got stuff. Now I'm doing this because you asked me, okay? okay. Marriage, reconstruction and reconstruction, how the two become one. Do you like that? I do. Okay, she said she likes that. Let's see, hold on. Let me switch to something random. She has random flips. Service fees. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, okay, so here's an exercise, because you do a lot of exercises, the ideal marriage, our version. The ideal marriage, like if they were to uh, enroll in the sessions, then they would, each one would be, would describe what they consider an ideal marriage. And if they are engaged, then they still, this is for the engaged, for the married, this is for the wobbling, this is for the big D. Did you like how I handled divorce? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not. They're going to have to register for that. Okay. And so, but how we killed the spirit of divorce, fantasy, and adultery. And so, and so this, is, this particular thing is a three-day thing. So, you know, with your three days and you work through it. Is, I don't say counseling because counseling has obviously not helped. We still had a 50, 60% divorce rate. Oh, yeah. So obviously counseling is not it. Um, coaching, I don't use that, although those elements do show up there. Mm-hmm. I don't use them, those terms, that terminology, because terms become very trite after a while. They just become like, you know, paint on the wall. Oh, I didn't know that was that color. And so... I don't use those terms. What I say is that if you, if, you, if you built it, then you know it. You know whether it's working or not. And if you broke it, only you can reconstruct it. And so the whole idea is that it's marriage construction and reconstruction. I've been doing it since the 90s. And um, I, don't, I haven't had one couple, not one, one couple that did not. I told them the other night, I said, well, I haven't had a couple to finish it yet because they fix it before I finish. So they leave, you know, they're like, okay, we got this. Next thing I know, they're on a honeymoon, they're on an island. You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, but we didn't finish. You know, because people have to be taught how to think differently about marriage because cultural yeah. marriage is, is predicated upon divorce. It's meant, today it's popular for you to say, I'm getting married two or three times. This is my fifth wedding. Well, you're not, if you have to have five marriages, you are not marriage material. Or you have a total misperception of marriage. Absolutely. The first time we can all say young and dumb. (laughs) You know, we can all just say, well, I was just young and dumb. I just, we were just in love. But when when you're older and you're still, 
looking for a spouse that will let you be who you are so you don't have to become them, then you're not marriage material. And that is the point that nobody's telling you. And, and marketing doesn't care. They like selling dresses. Wedding planners like planning weddings. I mean, wedding planners are like, ooh, number three. But you don't know. The third one's a charm. No, it's not. And if it's a charm, you ain't lucky. And so because nobody's really saying that if you've got to have that many times at the altar, you ought to stay away from it. You're not marriage material or you're not marriage-minded. Because when we talked about, that's, it's the truth. And when people come to me and they said even married several times, first of all, I'm not going to marry you like that. I, don't, I will never be that one. I don't care how large my church. I will never marry you over three times. If three times and third one, better be death. <laughs> <laughs> I will understand if you know, young and dumb, we're all in love, you all, you think it's love, you're all in lust. And you ever notice marriage is based on sex, the first thing that dies is sex because you you've used it up. Okay. You got nothing left. Because you didn't build anything else. Everything was about you dealing with your skin and not all that's it within each other. So you know each other's skin really well. Go ahead, hit me. See, see, it's that skin-touch contact that drew you together. But when you have to do this all the time and you have, you, you, your mind says, oh, my gosh, that means that there's no exit. See, I don't have a problem telling people the problem with shacking. Shacking is you have a – that's your escape clause. There's an exit. We have no paper. We have nothing else to hold us together. So, so now it's based on your own integrity or your codependency. Because you do become codependent after a while, which is God's mind. He planned it. So this is what we do. And, you know, I, um, I, when, when we talk about it, I'll tell you right now, those of you listening to me, you're probably, some of y'all are going to write me really – first of all, I don't really care about your little nasty notes. Um, no. I don't get as many as I used to, though. No, I'm sure you don't. I don't I'm get sure as many as I used to. Well, man. once you've responded, because people will always ask, who, who responds on Dr. Price's Facebook? Is that her? Is there really a question? Mm-mm. She does all her social media responses on there, unless somebody's acting out, we have to delete them or something like that. Uh-uh. But you in inbox, don't inbox her. Mm-mm. Don't pick a fight. No. Because she will respond directly. See, I'm not trying to learn Jesus Christ. Like, people are walking around still wondering who they are in Christ Jesus. I never wonder, ever. I do not wonder who I am in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I do not wonder who Jesus Christ is in me. Yeah, how about that? I never do. Like, when they, of those, all of you all in those religions where you're on a quest, I don't have a quest. I've already, I'm the one that's answering the questions. I don't have a quest. So all of those commentaries and stuff, they don't mean a thing to me because as he is, so am I in this world. And I take that seriously. And if I forget it, he, he steps up. You know, God gets a little bit fussy. And so, but I will tell you, if you've got to be married that many times, that means you're not ready to be someone else's solution, someone else's edification, someone else's fulfilled destiny. You, are, you want to be you in another body. And you now, so you kind of like hunting around looking for a body that you can get in and be you. I know. Don't y'all still love me? You should see the studio, folks. 
I want you to know. Oh, God. <laughs> right here. So, so go ahead, find your flips, because she had some flips she wanted to share. Uh, well, you talk about the practical about things, one? such as budgeting. This might be good. Becoming an awesome twosome. Becoming an awesome twosome. That's a whole segment. How you'll, know, how, what, how you'll do when the two become one. That's not something anybody can coach you through. You, what we can do is fear you, maybe. Because when you are ready to be married, the one thing that you want is not reasons to get out of it or justifications for your internal and subtle abuses. Hmm. You like that one? What's mm-hmm. that one? This is about discovering the unknown, recognizing the known. Yes. That's what the activity was. Of course I know you. And I tell you what, I mean, something like the survey that you did was it spoke for itself because it wasn't that's your opinion, that's your personality, that's your thing, that's my, whatever. It was numbers. It was numbers. And even how people approached the survey said a lot about how they approached their marriage. They did. And they did. unknowingly. Mm-hmm. But they, you know, when it's all said and done, you can't help but be you. You is going to come up. You are the one that's that eventually going to get tired of pretending, get tired of faking, get tired of, of submitting or whatever. Mm-hmm. You will be you. The one thing you can count on you is that you will be you. And given this right set of circumstances, you will do what you do because it's what you always do. Mm. You have another one in there? So many things in this book. She's loving it. Marriage Construction Diary. You have them do a diary? Yes. Oh. Let me see. She she loves this book. You like this one here? What Ooh, is that one? Probing and discovering you, the real you. Because you're going to be you. And understanding what you bring to another person's existence. See, we keep saying what you bring to your marriage. And so everybody's like, yeah, okay. So marriage is like overused too. You know, we got a marriage of companies. We got a marriage yeah, of, sure. you know, family. But what you bring to your what you bring to another person's existence mm. that's what you have to discover what do you bring to another person's existence and see and talk of marriage is always about what somebody's going to give you or uh, bring and, to you and what you get not your contribution your value uh, years ago when we were in college you were like so how are you going to improve somebody else's life how are you going to get them into purpose and destiny i mean that's what part of being a spouse is all about and we were sitting in the room like huh uh-uh. I can't even, you know, 22 years old, 23 years old, what are you even saying that that's a part of marriage? She said, because right now most of you all have the list of what you want in a spouse mm-hmm. and really from a spouse mm-hmm. and not your contribution, who you are and what you're going to bring. Are you going to make this person's life better or not? Or are you going to destroy it? Uh, and are they built for what you would bring? Yeah. See, that's going to tell you who you should marry. Because when you start looking at what you bring versus what this person expects, when there is a conflict, a dichotomy, you can rest assured that is not your mate. Now, it may be your date, but it is not your mate. How are you doing? Oh, I don't know. Um, oh, mine's frozen. Oh, I really don't know. It's frozen. Mm-hmm. So I want you. So when we when we talk about this program, and we'll, the next one we will we plan to do is 
top of 2021. Two. And, huh? 22. 2022, because I'm already done with 2021. I was done with it the second day. <laughs> 2020. We were done with 2021 in 2020. Do you realize on the Internet there are so many jokes on kicking 2020 out? Yeah. Mm-hmm. People were, I mean, 2020 is the year they, everybody wanted to kick out, cast out, slaughter. Can we get rid of yeah. it? Yes. You know? But I want you to, um, we'll be doing it 2022, and um, don't ask if we're going to put it on Zoom. Because I'm not. No, 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 no. It will not be on social media. No, no. And there will be two parts. The parts for whosoever will, as long as you're Christian, because there's no need of you coming to our thing to find out that your Christianity does not fit God's marriage scheme. Now, I have to say this, because there are, because there are groups for everybody. Stay with your group. Stay with your group. You know? Stay with your group. That's all. Don't come arguing with me because I am not your group. I'm not going to give you what you need. I, I'm, stay with your group. So we want those who are married in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, if you want to do some sort of in the field, in the bush, in the brush or something, that's fine. Do that. Do that because you're free to. That's what liberty means. But liberty is a two-sided coin. Because we act as if liberty is a one-sided coin. One is what you want, the other is a blank slate. And we don't do that. So, no, we're not doing that. And do not start, because I'm going to tell you something right now. There are a lot of folk who are like, well, you know, I'm going to do this. I want you to understand you're not the only one with power. And some of us in the pulpit and some of us in these seats of authority in Jesus Christ know we have power. And we know we have power with God. And we know that we will not only stare a devil down, we'll take him down. Because we couldn't be in these seats without taking devils down. That's how we got here. So don't start that. We're going to have this for the folk who are filled with the fullness of the Godhead, people who want to be filled with the fullness of the Godhead, folk who love Jesus Christ, and people who love the real Jesus Christ, not that plaster Paris Jesus that everybody is fed with. Well, isn't it cement? Yes. Well, the cement Jesus. Yes. Yes. Well, of course you can do what you want. There's no Jesus in it. So you can go polish it the way you want. Yeah, I know. I act up. Yes, I do. But I'm going to tell you, I am this man's representative and agent. And, and you know what? You know how he said, let me tell you about Jesus, because, you know, Jesus is awesome. But, you know, that man is pretty tough. Yeah. He said, you know, he said to me, Paula, you know how I say that the civil authorities don't bear the sword in vain? I said, yeah, I know. He said, but my servants don't bear the word in vain. I said, come on here, King Jesus. I said, so I don't bear the word of the Lord in vain. Now, there are some folks that do. You know, we just want you to be whatever. Stay with that. Stay where your soul can connect and touch. That is not my concern. But I want you to understand, this ain't that. And this is not it. Isn't that wonderful? God has a law. God is the God of law. Yeah. So did you have, were you finished with your, because you just had a blast over there by yourself. Yes, that's good for now. That's good for now. Do yeah. you, you think you'll be bringing it out again later? Of course. Something? Not today. Not today. Okay, no, not thank today. you. I just want to know how much time I got. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your name is on a few things. A couple of things. I just want to know, you know, how much time do I have? You know, I want to, today I am going to kill the hyper-grace nonsense. Yeah. We're not under law, we're under grace. That is a lie from the devil's race. I had a little talk with Jesus. 
told them all about your problems. (laughs) He will get you by and by. God will break down every life. Oh, I told them all about your problems. (laughs) Now, do you see what she's doing? When we first met, whenever I'd break out in it, she just would go with me. You know, just go with me. No Her, Tala, and a couple of other, they just started. Theater talk. Theater people. Okay. So I want to talk about it because I want you to understand that um, the days of God's leniency where he's winking at the mess that we have made, is they're gone. A lot of people will be brought under God's judgment this year, and it will go on for the next 20 to 25 years. I just want you to understand, because it takes that long to grow a problem. See, a tree takes that long to grow. And so it will be a while. We are in a position now where, you know, and I speak for all of these pastors who are out here trying to do it the right way, who have not kissed Baal or bowed the knee to Baal. You know, when you've got to go and put all of that stuff on to go to church, that's a bail kiss. And you only kiss bail because you are married to bail. We're married to Jesus the Christ. That's why I thought it was really interesting that you started with marriage. So, and, and so Elijah, by the time Elijah's ministry really took off and began to do what it does, um, his whole nation had pretty much turned from its founding God. Now, many of you don't understand that nations are begotten by deities. That's real. And you can read that about all of the deities in, 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 that are in existence, all these pagan devils and all of that. Look at how they did. So and when a nation turns from its God, it said it's a bitter thing for a nation to turn from its God. That's not a prophet having a hissy fit. That is a statement of their outcome and what's to be expected. That is a shift of destiny. Lamentation said that Israel fell because she forgot her destiny, because your pagan deities didn't write destinies. Your destiny was written from Psalm 139, before you were born. What We found out when we talked a few times ago that Jeremiah was in God's book. He was in God's God was in him, and he was in God, and he was God's choice formed you in the womb. So, you know, like any other thief, you know, your thief is not going to sit down at the car dealership and sign for the car. Mm-hmm. Right. They won't sit down. They're not going to sit down with you to sign for you to get your car. No, they're waiting for you to get approved and then for you to get the title. It's at that point that they want to steal your car. So. That is how Satan works with humanity. He was not there when God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit said, let us make beings. See, before we said, let us make being, make man, it was let us make beings. And so as we learn today, and I need you to be very uh, astute today about what I'm saying, especially if you're a prophet. It is unfortunate that so many prophets are vacating their office when it's the first office God ever had. The prophet is the founding office. The prophet, and you're going to find out today why you don't want to just jump out because somebody says that you're apostolic or somebody says that you're evangelical or whatever that is. If God called you to be a prophet, you need to understand you carry the first load. 
And so as we begin to talk about this law and grace thing, moving, just advancing forward, I want you to understand that everything about God is law. I know we don't think it, but we do. And we're going to look this up because if we don't look it up, people are going to continue to tell you a lie to say that the law doesn't matter and it no longer exists. So I did, you know, I'm one that's going to always look up what God what God says and how often, because um, it's important that you recognize how many times God does it. Do you know that there are seven times that God talks about the law of God, okay? And so God had a law before he had most. Otherwise, where did he get it from? Um, Psalm 49 says that I'm going to utter things that have been spoken and hidden from the foundation of the world. So there is, you know, there, in the book of the law of God, and God is appending that book and extending that book over and over again. And so we, the, what, what we end up inheriting from Israel, that came from another place. That came from the world that God had already mastered. The idea that, you know, he is brand new, um, that this is brand new, or God is new to government and he's new to kingdom and he's new to ruling and legislation, uh, that's, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. And so because when you think about it, um, when David said that the law was meant to give life, because we teach it terribly, but Revelation, I mean, excuse me, Romans 7 said uh, um, Paul, I was reading David here, but Paul was talking about how the law was meant to give life because everything that comes from God is life-giving or life, you know, affirming and life germinating, because sometimes he had to germinate. But Paul said the law was good and spiritual and holy. And it was the flesh that made it turn ugly. Flesh will always make God's law and government turn ugly. It always will. You have to get that. So when we talk about, you know, the law of, of God, I mean, seven times he says it in the Bible, but then when you look at law of, appreciate this, when God uses the phrase, the law of, and we get past the five books of Moses, he still has, I mean, it's amazing, 307 times. Now, that's just saying the law of. So why are we saying it? Because when you get down to the end, to the New Testament, then we're down to the law of. And it's usually most of it, like, for example, I'm just giving you some ideas so that you can frame your mind about how God feels about law. Because right now we're in a battle of law. The battle, we're fighting for our lives over law. But where did that get the break? Well, it got the break with the preachers who said the law is done away with. Nothing in Scripture says that. There is no such thing as the law being done away with, that the law was Old Testament and grace is New Testament. That is a lie. I will prove it to you. It is a lie. I don't care how many letters you got after your name. It is a lie. It is errant, and it is heresy. But it is that seed that has grown up over the last 30 to 40 years that has begun, that has now shifted out of its spiritual form into its natural or secular form. So we're fighting because whatever the church, the church germinates and inseminates and once it's full grown, it is embodied in the natural world. So we look at this 
and we talk about, all right, the, we have the law of the fathers, the law of Moses, the law of the Jews. I just thought you wanted to know this, the law of faith, the law, even the law of a husband, the law of God. This is Paul talking about it. The law of my mind, okay, the law of sin. I love this. The law of God, the law of the flesh, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the law of sin and death, the law of God, the law of righteousness, the law, I want you to hear this, the law of Christ, the law of commandments, the law of carnal commandments, which is different, sounds like they're the same, the law of liberty. These are the laws. These are just the little ones we have right now. Now, so tell me, which one of those are gone? <laughs> Especially those that are showing up in the New Testament. So you've been duped. That's why you have tripped over your salvation. This thing has been a tripwire to trip you out of Jesus Christ. Well, you know, I'm going to say it because it's true. And you, you have to understand that because the, the, the law of God has a purpose and God has a law for mortals and a law for immortals. You probably don't know that, but it is. There is a law for those. That's, when you see law of sin and law of sin and death, God is talking about the law for the dead, for the doomed. Mortals are doomed. So there is a whole governmental system for all of those that have under the law of sin and death, which is the law, the law of the, literally the defective result or outcome of the law of creation. So there is a difference. Now, I know you've heard a lot of these and, and you know, hallelujah, bless the Lord. Because I, I, but I've never accepted it. When they kept telling me, I, I asked God, I said, well, God, well, why isn't the New Testament? He said, Paula, why would I cut off half my word? Mm-hmm. He said, especially when a lot of them aren't even fulfilled yet. Mm-hmm. He said, that's humans trying to get you to fall into sin by feeling good about being as you were. You're talking about we, a minute ago we talked about getting married and not wanting to become that person. You should marry no one that you do not want to become a shadow or an image or a satellite or reflection of. You should not. So let's look at law. This is pretty much the, this, the whole secular thing, lawsuit, but it talks about judgment. You know, one of the reasons that we have a problem with the whole law piece in existence is because as long as Satan can tell us that we are okay by grace and anything we do is all right, he runs rampant, but he binds Christ's power in your life. See, the law was good. It's holy. That's Romans 7. The law is good. The law, the law is holy. The law is spiritual, and it is to bring life. And when it says spiritual, that means that the, the, it goes back to the spirit. The spirit without the body is dead. It is the spirit that gives life. So the law is the life of Christ in you, in you. And you need to understand it. And when I started going through all of the things that the law applied to, I realized that that whole deception that we're not under law but grace, that's not true. First, law and grace are not even synonyms. Can we talk about that? They're not even synonyms. I'm going to give you synonyms for law. Grace is not one of them. That's the first thing. Grace and amnesty are not the same. Grace is a power. It is a potency. Grace is a strengthener. 
like if you're doing a, a chemical, making a chemical, you know, those who do hair know what I mean. You have to have something to strengthen it. That's grace. Grace is the strengthener to, to bump up the efficacy to assure the desired result. So you can go and say, I'm going to color somebody's hair and forget the strengthener. Okay, so what's going to happen there? No color. It's going to be, it's chemicalized for nothing. Okay? And so grace, God gave us grace to strengthen us for the, the power that that new creation would release in our being. So grace strengthens your soul. And grace strengthens your mind. Grace strength is a strengthen for your body, but it's not, your grace is not for you to stay you. The reason you need grace is because you are ceasing to be what you were and what you've become since you came into the planet. Grace is not what they said. They even, like, we, they, they actually marry grace and um, uh, mercy as if they're synonyms, but they are not. Grace and mercy, just do your etymological homework. Do it yourself. Grace and mercy are not the same thing. They're similar. They're related. Because typically, because of God's mercy, you become an heir of his grace. But they are not synonyms. Mercy is something entirely different. Look it up. It's entirely different than grace. Now, you have a whole lot of people misapply heretical synonyms and things like that. But the, the fundament of grace is that it strengthens you to do God, to be God in a, in a body that is too weak for God. So I'll say it again. Write it down. Grace, grace is the strengthener that enables you to do God, to be God, in a body that is beneath God, that is too weak for God. So the, the, the law is, gra- is grace because God gave it to us, but it's not the law on its own cannot be done by the body that is too weak for the Holy Ghost, for the law of God. So that is the whole difference. So God went and he, got, he had this thing and he came up with this amazing thing called grace and all of the other languages that the word falls in. But the idea of grace is that it is an efficacy for effectivity. Grace is not for you to whore and say, I'll, I'll apologize later. That is not grace. Grace is not for that. That's what the law is for. See, the law is for your whoredom. But grace is to keep you from whoring. Oh, my God. Y'all, y'all all right? Y'all still all right? How, how y'all doing in social media? Y'all doing good? See, grace is not to give you the power to survive and thrive as an alcoholic or a drug addict. Grace is to give you the power to do what you were never able to do with drugs and alcohol, and that is resist them. Grace is what God uses when you decide to stop being an alcoholic, stop being a drug addict, stop being a sex addict, to stop being a liar, stop being a cheat. So grace is literally not just, it's not even just a, a, uh, a dispensation, it's a formula. It's a formulaic dispensation. So grace is the formula, the, the, the overcome formula, the strengthening formula, formula that gets you to say no and to stay with your no. 
So grace is not a get out of, of, of righteousness free card. It is not a pass to sin. And it's been taught to, taught to you as if it's a pass to sin. And the beautiful thing about it is that God does not petty. God has no knee-jerk reactions. He doesn't just impulsively react in the moment. He, does, um, he will walk with you for years to try to get you to see the, the righteousness of his ways, the truth of his ways, and the deception and the lies of yours. So because it doesn't come right away, when I drank and, and nothing happened, I want you to understand God is not what you think he is. God's not petty. And we, we teach you like he's petty and like he's finicky and he's picky and he's just he's waiting like he's some sort of uh, assassin, waiting sniper. He's not ready to snipe you with his sin. That's not what he's trying to do or snipe you for your sin. He's not that. God will get to a point where he wants to make sure you do not want him to rescue you. That's God. He is the one to say, no, 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 no. I want to, I want to make sure that you don't want me to rescue you. Because God knows that whatever thing you indulge in and then you put that, that you lacquer it with that false grace, that greasy grace, then he wants to make sure you want to live with it, that it, and that is done as a matter of your free will. Here's the deal that he doesn't tell you, but, but, and he shouldn't have to. Common sense says that, but he doesn't harp on the fact that what you tell God to get out of, and when you tell him to get out of your business, God doesn't just get out of your business. He gets out of your house. He gets out of your world. He gets out of your car. He gets out of your judgments. He gets out of your restraints. God backs out of all of it. Why? Because the spirit realm does not come like chunks. The spirit realm is like air. It's like water. It seeps and it radiates and it has a ripple effect and cause and effect. See, God tells you that. And that's what I need you all to understand. I need every one of you to get, when you tell God, leave me alone, he leaves you and everything attached to you alone. And he leaves everything about you alone, which is why when you, when you look at it two years down the road, your kids are in trouble. This is happening. Your marriage is a wreck and all of that. Why? Because God is like, I am not going to waste my time picking and choosing where this should land and where it shouldn't unless it's in my best interest. I want you to write something else about the Lord today. Understand, God moves for God's best interest. And we teach you that God doesn't. No, it was in God's best interest to put a body of righteous ones in Christ. That was in his best interest because everything God put in Christ, God's going to bless and judge through Christ. Because, remember, Jesus is God's portable self. So when you start thinking yeah, well, you know, but, but, I mean, he's a loving father. He doesn't love you more than he loves Jesus Christ. Okay? I want you to hear that. He doesn't love you. That's like a person with an only child saying that I love all of my adopted children more. They may never voice it, but it's a reality. So Jesus came from God. Now, God loves us with the love that he has for Jesus Christ, because it's the only kind of love he got. You know, he just, he, you know, he loves us with the love that he has for Christ. And everything in Christ, he loves it. So he loves Christ's mind. 
He loves Jesus' heart. He loves Jesus' soul. He loves his will. He loves his emotions. He loves Jesus' appetite. So you need to understand the template is Jesus Christ. The model, the prototype, Jesus Christ. And so you have it in your mind that he loves you for being you. No, he doesn't. That's why he slaughtered you on the cross. See? We don't tell you the gospel like that. But the reason Jesus had to get on the cross is because he didn't love you as you were. But he knew you couldn't help it. He knew you were illegally abducted from him. So then you, he rises from the dead, and he rises from the dead with a purge model, a clean copy. How many of you all have said that if you're a printer, if you are a, uh, a publisher, you understand the value of a clean copy, a clean specimen? If you're a doctor or a medical professional, you understand the importance of a clean specimen. Is this talking to you all out there? Because you are, you are being misled. God, just like a, a, when you think about it, just like if you go in for surgery, everybody, and they want to type you or type your blood and type whatever else and all of that, they need clean specimens. Yeah. Why? Because they're not reproducing what made you sick. Neither will Jesus Christ re- reproduce what made you put you under his judgment. I need you to understand this. See, this is how apostles and prophets of the Lord Jesus Christ teach. And then you have the, you know, the, the other people who, they, because they themselves couldn't reach it, they decided to unteach it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when they start teaching scripture that badly, I, keep, I start wanting to, God, they got sent on the line. They got a little something in the back. They got a little addiction thing going on. They got some habit going on. When somebody tells you that this who has gotten Jesus Christ from eternity to earth to hell and back again is wrong, you need to find out what's wrong with them. Mm -hmm. Something is wrong with them. To teach something so vital is your eternal afterlife so wrongly. Isn't that nice to know? So So we need this clean specimen. We need it. If I'm going to reproduce a copy of something, you, you get your first copy and you look at it and it's got all of these spots on it, guess what you are going to reproduce? The spots, the error, the inferiority, the flaws. So when God tells you that he gave you a new spirit, he did not give you a spirit from you being who you are on the earth, your first birthday. He, that doesn't bother you. It's your first birthday that made him have to get on the cross. No, he's telling you, I'm giving you a portion of the model, the template, the specimen, the contamination-free, the flawless template that I got in the person of my son, Jesus Christ. <laughs> You can tell people who have not been born again because they keep telling you that Jesus isn't perfect. But if Jesus isn't perfect, then you're in peril. Just like an imperfect copy will not give you a perfect copy, which means the, the publisher or the generator or the producer will never, ever give you the top 
of the top or the best of the best because they don't have it, because the copy that they're using is tainted. It's defective. This is it. That's why salvation is more than that prayer. Now, how did God get this template? That is the question. What did he do to get this template? He made Jesus literally in his being. He reproduced himself in Jesus Christ 100% flawless and perfect. So when Jesus comes out, he is a perfect. He said that I am the perfect image of the Father. I'm the perfect specimen. I am the perfect model and template, not sample. Jesus is not a sample. We're the sample. Jesus is the archetype. He's the prototype. He's the archetype that's going to be the prototype for bringing humanity out of the the genetics, the gene pool, et cetera, of the satanic tree. So when you hear people say, well, you know, I mean, Jesus, I mean, I mean, he couldn't, he wasn't necessarily sinless. He was sinless until God put sin on him. And the sin God put on him was what he collected from all that humanity can do and become against him. So he throws this sin on him. Why? So he now is working with, see, remember, we had the, we had the, fault, the, 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 the flawless, the faultless, which was, what was in God's world. He then took that faultless and flawed version and he merged it with a fallen, so he gave Jesus the soul of the doom. That is how he was made mortal. And that soul is how God was able to, to penetrate. Think of it as skin. You know, how many times have we seen those shows where people think skin is a sheet and it's not, it's fabric? See, so they go and they put gold on themselves and they do, you know, paint themselves and lock themselves and all of these kinds of, of substances that suffocate the pores. Yes. Right. Yes. See, that's what the, the your soul is. So he gives Jesus the soul of a doomed person, but also the soul of everything he cursed that will attract it. So Everything, every day he's attracting the curse. He's eating the curse from the food. He's drinking it from the water. He's absorbing it from people. He's taking it in in his soul from the people he heals. You know, it said the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me, and then God has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Well, what, where did that iniquity come from? Lucifer wow. said you were made perfect until what? Iniquity was found in you. How did God, so the, what, what took Jesus out is not what just happened in the garden. What took Jesus out was what happened in his world. But it was a, they, I mean, God is brilliant. He just watched it. Okay, so, um, yeah, that cherub, he, mm, he cut up. Okay, it's time for note-taking. It's time for data gathering. It's time for uh, standards. It's time now for criteria. So God understands exactly what Satan will do to any of his creatures. Why? Because he did it in his world. And if you are one of those saints that think that this world is God's first attempt, you are sadly mistaken and woefully misinformed because the criteria doesn't come from Eden. The standards, they don't come from Eden. 
they don't they because they weren't in Eden until Adam put them in them. Now, why do I know that? How do I know that? Because I want you to understand. Because law has a lot of synonyms, and we don't want to find out a good number of those synonyms. Because when God made Adam, there was no sin. There was no error. None of that existed anywhere in Eden except in the serpent and the serpent's favorite haunt, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was no sin anywhere. You know, people are fond of, fond of saying, hey, you know, we're going to paradise. And I love it with those old philosophers used to say, yeah, but in every paradise there's a snake. <laughs> so you're really going to the snake tent. That's why people go away and get in all kinds of trouble, because in every paradise there's a snake. I don't care where it is. There's a snake. And he has a whole institution. See, because the serpent had a whole institution at the tree. But what he carried, see, it's very interesting. What he carried, he literally, God, he said the, the serpent was more cunning than any other beast in the field. There's a reason why. And so they go to the serpent's haunt. Serpent's haunt. A lot of you all are there. You go, I'm, I'm sorry, I just, I just can't help myself. But see, when you go there, serpents do what they do. They poison you, but they release venom in you to guarantee that you will become defective for Christ. And that poison or venom, literally, they impart their mind to you. They impart their thoughts, their will, and their appetites. All of a sudden, the Lord gets on your nerves. You're tired of Christians talking about Jesus. I just don't, I'm just tired of hearing Jesus. You don't want to talk about church. Now, you can sit there and tell me about every club in your neighborhood and tell us we got too many churches. We need all of the churches for all of the clubs that are getting ready to take you out. Somebody needs to pick you up from the side of the road. But that's because the serpent has injected you with his being, with his essence, with his cells, soul cells that are chemicalized as body cells. Here we are. So this is how God knew. God said, okay, these are the things that I will not let happen again. I will not. These are what I know won't work for us in this realm. He's watched his, his uh, citizens die. He watched them get killed. He watched them be defected. I know nobody tells you this story, but I got a daughter who writes stuff, and she's going to do this for her mother before she leaves. Before I leave this planet, she's going to produce this. And I got another daughter that she brought to me, and the, the pair of them are going to do this the way it really happened, because we, I don't have evangelical doctrine or charismata. I only got the word of God as an apostle. And so God could know this world, because many of you all are taught that he doesn't. He knows this world because this world followed his world. And this world is governed by his world. And he sent the thing that tried his world to the mass, to this world, to try us, to try all of us throughout history on the earth. 
So when you start talking about, well, you know, this is not wrong, your pastor starts talking about this isn't wrong and this is not God and whatever, your pastor is errant. Because everything that God has imposed on earth, he experienced in his realm. So everything he imposes on flesh, he experienced, and he documented, and he remedied and removed in his realm first. The main one being kicking out the devil and his angels so that they could stop being the contagion. They can stop being the conflict. This is big Christian talk. All right, this is not for you who just said Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Go there and, and get the sincere milk of the word, okay? This is not for you because you're not ready to look at your stuff yet. You're just glad to be accepted by God. But for those of us who have walked with God quite a little bit, we, I mean, and every time you walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, it's kind of like the man shows up as a mirror. Here's my Jesus. Here's the mirror. But you're my Here's the mirror. Look at yourself. Look at your ways. This is for people who are to keep the planet, not the people who are just entering his, his kingdom. So we, this is the planet keeping, humanity keeping, kingdom keeping doctrine. That's what apostles and prophets are going to give you. But you can't keep something that you don't know how it got broke. You don't know how, how it was fixed. So you can't do it. You think about, when we think about holistic medicine, sympathetic medicine, they have to find out why it makes you sick before they can find out how it can be fixed. That's what pharmacies do in uh, other eras. So, but you have to recognize, as the template, everything that God wrote down for Jesus Christ, about Jesus Christ, it was he had one person who was his 100% experiment. Jesus was God's lab subject. And that's what he's done from before time began all the way to now. And what is God using? Wisdom. So God is wise because he's lived it. He's had to live it. He had to work it. He had to watch his son. You think this is the first time he's watched his son decay, deteriorate? for the purposes of redeeming his nation, redeeming his creation. This isn't the first time, but it is the last time. That's why the, the scripture keeps saying once and for all. I mean, a man said through whom he made the world. What do you think that means? World, plural. We already know God had a world. We already know his world is what, what supersedes and superintends this one. Make sure you think that. Write that down. Supersedes and superintend this world. It's important that you understand the difference between the two and that work. So as we continue, we look at the, this here and we see law and everything law is. And do you know there is no part or element of creation that is without law? They will ignore law, but there's still laws. There's the law of sin and death because there are laws to how to kill. There's laws to how to corrupt, laws to how to deteriorate, laws to how to corrode. So that's the law of sin and death. See, and we're like, but that can't be God. I don't know why it can't be. How in the world are you going to have some, you're going to make a creature or a, a civilization and tell them they can choose you or not and then not understand when they don't choose you, what it looks like when they don't choose you. 
See, God has to know what it looks like when people reject him. So Jesus came here preaching rejection, not because this was the first time he felt it. He's not like some of you all's only children. Some of y'all only children are useless. I said some. I didn't say many. But some of you all, you think you gave birth to Jesus. If you had given birth to Jesus, you'd be trying that specimen the way the Almighty tried his. Not indulging them and giving them everything that they want and acting as if they're the only thing in the world and, and they're the best thing going. They can't be the best thing going. It came from you. If God didn't think Jesus was the best thing going coming from him, what do you think about your little wonder child? And just being deeply in love with someone doesn't guarantee that you should be blinded to who and what they are. Devil love blinds, opens eyes. See, God's love enlightens. Devil's love blinds. Y'all still on with me? See, y'all got me sitting up and carrying up. Get on, you know, do a little... No, because I'm going to tell you, some of you all, think about it. This is not something that's just today. David's sons caused him all manner of issues, and he would never look at them as they are. David always misassessed his sons, and what it cost him was their life. David never looked at himself as he was until he fell with Bathsheba. My God. And then he said, wait a minute, I was, okay, I'm, I was shaping in iniquity, creating me a clean heart. So think about it. We come down the line, and we've got Eli's boys doing all manner of evil to the point that they don't even listen to his father. And it says, that, my sons, why do you do so wickedly? No, you, you taught them that wickedness was acceptable because they came from you when they were little. Okay, because toddler pranks turn into adult principalities. And there'll be a time when your kid won't listen to you, where you will lack influence over your child. And they will corrupt themselves with your genes, with your indulgences. We look again and we come back, we're up to Samuel. They want a king because Samuel's sons were so horrible at leading, they would rather leave the Almighty because what happens is when you cut up, people don't really blame you on your own. They blame you as the Almighty's product. So that means he's flawed. Here's why I want you to get this, because you'll hear a lot of people say, well, I don't understand why God doesn't stop them. When anybody says that, you can rest assured they do not know God. He is not almighty to them. Because if they knew God, then they would understand that God won't stop them because they have to kill everything. And if he kills them, then correction's off the table. He said as much to Moses. He said, listen, I'm sick of them. So I'm going to kill all of them, and I'm just going to start (laughs) over. Did he say that? Okay. He, He said that over and over again. He keeps telling you. I can stop the problem, but do you want my solution? Because it will always bring death, doom, disease, famine, and horror. So I'd rather try to work with it through life rather than death. Oh, that's a little different, isn't it? It is. 
Well, I don't understand why God didn't save my so-and-so. You don't know how many times God saved your so-and-so. Your mama, your daddy, your sister, your brother, your uncle, your kitties, your brats. You don't know how many times he warned them. Just because you can't get to your kids 24-7 doesn't mean the Almighty can't. He gets to their drink. Go ahead, Rachel is dying over there. He was getting you money, Rachel. Just a little. <laughs> you assume that God, because you didn't hear God counsel them, lecture them, warn them, you assume that he didn't and that they did nothing worthy of such. But many of you all can sit here today, and really, if I asked you and you felt bold enough, I, I could tell you, you tell me, yeah, you know, because there was that time and I knew I was wrong, but God have mercy on me. We all have that story, yeah. all of us. And just because people are hard-hearted and hard-headed doesn't mean God doesn't warn them. Yeah. But God warns to save. He warns to redeem. And he warns, just like he promises, he also warns. And he punishes. And you have to recognize God talks to people. When they tell me, it's just unrighteous that God, that, no, no, no. It, you don't know God's righteousness because you don't know their wrongness. That, that, that's going to make it in the, in, the, in the dictionary one day. Wrong shit. Y'all are wrong shit. God is righteous and you, you all are wrong shit. That's going to make it there. You watch. That's going to be me. Because they are wrong before God. That he said that every mouth would stop and went, that he would be justified when he is judged. Your, your job, your duty is to find the justification for what he did. Because you cannot assume that somebody's on the planet 365 days a year for 70 years and they are all right with God. You might end up that way. But, honey, the journey to becoming all right with God is laden with sin, traps, and temptations. That's how you know, because we're born that way in sin that my mother conceived me. That is what David realized after he made one of the greatest, greatest mistakes. And if you read David's story after that, every time, I mean, when God said the sword will never leave your house, he meant it. The sword did not leave David's house, ever, because God can wait till you get old. He's like, I either can kill you young and lose whatever benefit I would have derived from your existence, or I can wait till you get old and let your old age be horrible. I'm just saying. I'm going to drink some water, okay, guys? Okay. Just come on, you can inhale and exhale. Well, the reason that we have this, and, 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 and you know, people will say, well, you know, Dr. Price is hard. Dr. Price is nothing. I am Jesus Christ. He must increase. I must decrease. And God has got to give you an opportunity. He said, how can you hear unless somebody preaches? How can someone preach unless they've been sent? So I, my job, I'm doing the job. It's kind of like, you know, you can go there, and people say that about judges all the time. That's a hard judge. That's a soft judge. That's an easy cop. That's a lot. People say that about folks all the time. It depends on where you are in your soul and what you think your soul is in this planet to do and for whom it is to do it. Now, let's look at law. You want to look at law? I got law. 
Ready? Can you all see? The major thing, if the religious side of law is canon, LEX is just another way of saying law. When you see lexicon, that's very different from a thesaurus. Thesaurus is about storage. And, and so we have that. But, but law is a regulation. It's a precept and edict. Now, I want you to understand this because this is important. You can take a picture of this if you want. But this is important if you want to understand what law means and does to God mm. and for God. Why is he doing this? Law is criteria. Hey, how about it's a cloud? Mandate, fundament, principle, formula, guide, Jewish, jurisprudence, guideline, command, act, legality. But we are, so if we are not under law, that means we are illegal. Illegal. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Law is a tenant. How about the one at the bottom, covenant? Did you know that there was such a word as covenant? But law is, is the basis for covenant. It is literally a distributor, inspirer, framer of covenant. It's an injunction, decree, order, bylaw. How about we all know this in our political world, law is a bill. Mm-hmm. All right? Ordinance. We talked about that. Le- legislation. How about above? Enactment. Ruling. Directed. Prescript, guideline, decretum, and what is that? Decree. It is a body of decree. So when you think about them saying we're not under law, you really have enough information right now to say or ask them what part. Because when they say we're not under law, and understand God has law statements. For example, when Paul said the law is good and spiritual, it came to earth. But where did it come from? Well, we can go back to Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments. But then he says that that's the law for Israel because there was the law of life or sin and death there because law serves more than a purpose of restraining you and inhibiting your will and frustrating your liberty or sense of liberty. These are all of the things that law means to God. Now, it may not mean all of that to you, and we still have more. I just didn't even fill them all in because we have constitution, institutions, establishment, protocol, all of that God brought down in this little three-letter word in our time called law. Just like we are amazed that he can squeeze himself in this little word called God in our time, in our world. So when you decide, I think one of the things that's really uh, interesting too, under, um, by, between bylaws uh, and code is constitution, but if you look at code, law is a code. And, st- and just go and run down that to see what else you would do. So when they, you can tell these people teach these things, they don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. There's nothing in here about grace, amnesty, mercy, because they come under another set of terms. Mm-hmm. This body of terms is for the law. Now, grace in 
mercy are what God, what I call the supersedence of the law. So the law is an impedance. Grace and mercy supersede. They supersede the law by, listen, on a case-by-case basis. Because God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Just like you have the will or the volition to have mercy on whom you want, so does God who had it before you. God gave that to you. So when you look at this, I hope you can, because, you know, I'm trying to see what I did. This is God's law. So Luke, forgive the extra letters, and he said unto them, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. How can the law be done away with then, since all those things have not been fulfilled? Law is in the New Testament scripture nearly 225 times. New Testament, are you hearing me? New Testament. For something the man came to abolish, I'm just surprised that he came to abolish this, and yet he carries it over 225 times. Does anybody find that odd? That's questionable. So how are you going to tell me that the law is gone? No. That, you know, back in the early days of the church, they had this word called antinominal, uh, antinominal, which is without law or lawless. That's popular. That was a theological case studies and all of that. But you need to recognize Jesus did not come to make us lawless. He didn't come to make us lawless with our own earthly officials because he said that, that they are ministers of his righteousness and they don't bear the sword in vain. And he didn't come to make us lawless with his spiritual powers. He talks about that. Paul talked about it when he says to us principalities and powers being subject to him and that we are to be subject to those principalities and powers. So there is nothing to support that argument except one of two things. I told you either these, the one thing might be people got stuff on the line, got a little girlfriend, boyfriend in the back, got a little habit, have a little crime or something. That could be one of the reasons. Another of the reasons could be just a simple matter of being untrained. I, I, I didn't know better, didn't teach right, or which is probably one of the most tragic ones, and that is being tutored and mentored by another God. A little bit of Buddhist, a little bit of Hindu, a little bit of Muslim, a little bit of Wiccan, a little bit of philosophy, a little bit of Taoism, a little bit of Confucianism, say a little bit of. And so, so you have this, this, this stew of religious thought and spiritual dogma that is now the stew pot called grace. You put them all in your grace pot, and you have a little bit of this and that because there is no justification for this. And, and so um, Matthew, it says here, think not that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I want you to understand, all those people who tell you prophets have done away with, you need to understand that's a lying spirit. He said, I did not come to destroy the law or the prophets. 
I have come I have not come to destroy but to fulfill. And fulfill is kind of this enigmatic term which I know that the, the you know, the maneuvers of scripture did because the word that he really meant there he came to embody. If I were making an annotation, my note would be I did not come to destroy but to embody. Well, why is it that I say that? How can I say that? I'll tell you how. Because kings embodied their laws, their governments, their realms, their nations, and their people. So Jesus is like, okay, I'm coming, and I'm coming to embody all of this. And as the author of the prophets, the voice of the prophets, I am now ready to make it manifest in a human form and multiply it in human form. How do I know? What do he say? I will walk in you. I will talk in you. You will be my people. I will be your God. I will put my laws in your hearts and your mind, and I will put my spirit in you to make sure that you have no choice but to do it. When you are really born again, you don't opt out on the Holy Ghost. Come on. You can fight him. You you resist him. God, I just said, I don't, I don't, in the Holy Ghost. Okay, Jesus. And I'm t- I don't care if you're the meanest man. We've talked to people that God saved who were assassins and so and all of that, and they all said, but God, that Holy Ghost stand up ramrod and say, you will not. I have lived it, but I've talked to them. And they'll say, no, no, God, stop me and make you drop to your knees. And until you drop to your knees, you don't know him. Because you have to drop and worship him Because he has restrained you from doing something That could destroy you And his testimony in you I know, see, hallelujah In Matthew five eighteen, Verily, verily, I say to you Not one jot or titter Or one tittle Shall in no ways pass from the law Till all is fulfilled Everything hasn't been fulfilled So the law is still in effect it's not in effect on stone. It's not in effect on paper. It's in effect on flesh. Paul calls it the tablet of our hearts. Matthew 7, therefore, all things whatsoever you wish. Now, this one is my personal favorite. Matthew seven twelve. therefore, all things whatsoever you would that man should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Do you know we are the golden rule? We got it on buildings, we have it on um, um, boards, we have it in plaques, and you know what? It doesn't tell you that the prophets are to uphold the golden rule and spread it throughout God's body. Golden rule came from prophets. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That is not denominational. That's not Baptist. That is not Catholic. That is not Methodist. That is not non-denom. That is not high-denom. That is prophet. See, because you keep trying to erase the prophet. But there was an era where God turned his prophets loose and sustained them and kept them. And that era is coming again. Here's something you will really like, just in case you wanted to see if what I said was real, because, you know, y'all be writing all this stuff, talking about God, she's not writing, but now I'm like, y'all reading that little black arts Bible. That's why y'all can't find what I'm saying. Y'all got a black arts Bible for the black hearts. All right. What? So look at this. Here's one, Matthew 12, 5, or had Excuse me, I'm sorry, uh, Matthew eleven thirteen. For 
all the law, all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Why did they stop prophesying at John? Because they're incarnated and came to the planet to prophesy for himself. You're all excited now, aren't you? See, because Jesus came to the planet as a prophet. Art thou that prophet? Is that the prophet that Moses said? That Moses said? Because up until that point, Moses was the vanguard, the standard, the foundation, the definer, and the reprover of everybody. And now the author and finisher of our faith, the man who authored every prophecy from heaven to earth, he was the spirit in the prophet that Nehemiah 9.30 talked about. He said, I'm here now, guys. Go ahead. She, I was surprised you just waited that long. I thought you would have. <laughs> so listen to what he's saying. He said, okay, guys, thanks. You You held it down. This is fine. They prophesied John. John is prophesied in Malachi, the last Old Testament book that we have appended in this compendium we have. And he said, but I'm here now. I'll take it from here. He corrected the wrongs. He rectified the errors. He removed what wasn't him. You have heard it was said, but I say, Matthew 5, say, I'm telling you, I have been on this thing since 1982. I've not stopped. I've never got another piece of I had all that stuff before I got saved, so I didn't have to worry about wondering what the devil's texts were doing. I had already studied them. I was done. I came on board loaded with old. So he came. So you have to understand, until you accept that Jesus came as the prophet that Moses prophesied, who came as the lawgiver, oh, somebody hear me, as Isaiah's lawgiver, which he broke off and gave to Moses on Sinai when he gave him the ten commandments. And then we get all excited. Moses came down with, in his hands with two tablets, but in his soul, the entire kingdom of the everlasting God. And you don't realize God expects you to put two and two together to get four. So he expects you to say, well, obviously the Lord told him about the priesthood up there. Obviously the Lord told him about the temple up there. Obviously the Lord told him about government up there. Oh, it's clear to see that God taught him about military and armament. And it's, well, it's clear to see that he taught him about diplomacy and nation building. This may have had, these two books may have had just these two Ten Commandments. But everything else God wanted him to know, he intern, internalized it. He embedded it in his being. And it took 40 days twice for him to get it. So when you think that you've done a lot because you fasted 40 days, you are so unimpressive to God. So anyway, it's important that you recognize, he said, for the law prophesied. And it's still prophesying. Why am I saying it's still prophesying? I just read to you 
that it came all the way over to the New Testament, and your pastor, your preacher, your favorite televangelist is telling you that the law is done away with. It's done away with on paper. It's done away with on stone and bricks. Yeah, we have the Ten Commandments written down, and we need them. I'm all for it. Let's start with, start at start. But Paul comes, and he's in Romans, and he's in other uh, epistles, and he quotes the Ten Commandments. Is he crazy? Or are the modern people promoting this idea, either rebels, apostates, or just unenlightened? You can say, I can do all of this because the law, I'm under grace and not under law. If you're not under law, you don't need grace because grace is not for the lawless. It's for the lawful. Doesn't it say that? It's for the lawful. Well, I mean, but what do you mean, Dr. Price? I mean, it says in Galatians that he doesn't do the law. No, he's telling you we're not on stone. We're not doing tabernacle. The fact that Jesus says, I came to fulfill meaning embody the law, means that he is now procreating. He has procreated that are keeping his law from the inside out and not on stones and papers and libraries. Master, which is the great commandment, Matthew twenty-two thirty-six in the law? Which is the great commandment in the law to the lawgiver? I'm thinking Jesus probably could feel that question. And it says, Matthew twenty-two forty, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What two commandments? That thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Well, because you have emptied yourself of any kind of destructive, unproductive, Love, you can now love your neighbor with the love of the Lord. That's what this is all about. This was not about loving your late neighbor above all else. And he said, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, why would he say that? Well, let's go back to the golden rule. You have enough love in you to do well for people so that they can, you know, the whole perversion of the pagan perversion of pass it on or, or pay it forward. That's a pagan perversion, but that's, you know, hey, we do what we do. We, do, we work for what we got. Okay? And then he goes on, and he looked there, and, and, and I'm just giving you some of the, the other things that he says. Like when you make a sacrifice, God said you, you, you make a sacrifice according to the Law of the Lord. He didn't even say Moses. He said according to the law of the Lord. Hmm. Luke 2.24. And then he's talking about the customs. And, and so I'm going to do a class on law like I just finished on the Gospels because we need to be very clear about the, the truth. God is not lawless. And it's a shame that millions and millions of Christians have been told by hundreds of thousands of pastors that their salvation gives them a path to sin. Here's the thing. If you can still sin after being saved, you didn't get saved. Because 
God is, that Holy Ghost is not derelict in his conviction. You didn't get saved. You just said a little prayer. You went to the office, snipped and snotted. You went there and just asked God, told God, just, Lord, if you give me. You realize how many, if you just did your, pro, uh, your, your vows to the Lord, there's a lot of sins you wouldn't commit. Lord, if you, then I, yeah, yeah. Psalm 19, this is one of my favorite psalms. Psalm 19, 7 through 12, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Okay, let's back up. Did anybody just hear that? So we told people the law is no more, so guess what? They are unconverted to Jesus Christ. Because we've given them permission to ignore the law. We've we've co-signed on their rebellion, on their resistance on their nonconformists when the Bible says that God did all of this to make us conformable to Christ, the template, the model, the lesson. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. You understand that people don't make sense today because they don't have God's testimonies witnessing in their souls. The statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The statutes rejoicing? Hmm? Really, God? When you are of God, when you are born of his seed, then you and God don't have conflict. There's no dichotomy. There's no contradiction in, in your perspective and in your heart because he gave you the heart of his son. When you got born again, you got a new heart. Remember? You got a new heart, you got a new spirit, and then you got the Holy Spirit. And all of that contained everything God would say, want, desire, think, communicate, publish. All of it. Every cell of God is all God. And so it said making wise the simple, uh, excuse me, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. When you feel like God is heavy-handed, that is because you are not one of his or you are unenlightened to him. So you've not been trained in God. So you don't know. So you still operate. Your soul is operating on your old heart, even though your new heart is trying to convert it. You can't tell me. I know God. You don't know God if you don't rejoice over his righteousness, over his law, and over his statutes. Why do we get all of these, this, this stuff going on in our world today? Because the church had a problem with God's statutes. The church had a problem with God's law. The church preachers had a problem with his righteousness. The next one, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. See, if you look at this, these are all the law of God and physiological effects, organic effects, biologic effects. You see that. We've got the soul, and then we've got the mind, and then we've got the heart, and then we've got the eyes. Do you see all of the biologics in there? It's a good little bit of it, isn't it? And then the fear of the Lord is clear, is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous all together. Here's something important. Look at that. The fear of the Lord is clean. So you will clean up your act when you develop 
of fear of the Lord. That's why wisdom, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You show yourself unwise when you don't have sense to be scared of somebody who can blink your heart off. <laughs> he ain't got sense enough. You know, he, I mean, it's not even hard. I mean, look at, just look at God. When he's done it over and over again in Scripture, they're just cutting up, and all of a sudden it's like, boom, they're gone. Yep. Think about Herod. Herod got all dressed up. He's ready to, to compete with Jesus. He's about to unseat Jesus Christ in his region because back then church wasn't a building. Church was a population. So he's about to unseat Jesus. He got all ready. He got up, and he, they say he gave this really wonderful oratory, and the angels standing by was like, oh, mm-mm. And the angel killed him right there, right there. Now, it doesn't say anybody touched him because he, they wouldn't have touched him because he had a whole military around him because he's the head of state. So God is like, well, you think you're a God? Then I will deal with you as a God, and you're done because you're not going to unseat my son. And so he goes here, he says, so the fear of the Lord is clean. It clears up. God is clear. And when we say clean, we don't really get it. Because in our minds, this is not a soap and water thing in the natural sense. It's the washing of the regeneration of the word. It's the word is the water. Isn't that something? The word is the water. The blood is the soap. But the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And so, the, so we have the water, which is the word, and we have the blood, which is the, the soul. Can we teach this or not? Because sometimes you think, well, you think all you do is what's making you nice. You know, you think everything you do to others and everything you do outwardly is cleansing your soul, but it isn't. Because I'm going to tell you something, you will never do better for people than you do to Christ. And if you lie to God, you will lie to yourself. If you lie to yourself, you will lie to everybody else. If you cheat God, you will treat yourself and you will cheat everybody else. Because the first person you violate in all your mess is the Lord Almighty. That's the first person you offend. How do you know that? Why can you How is it that you can say that, Dr. Price? I can say it for this very reason, because God is in your heart. And you, you, we talk to God 24-7. We don't want to. And you know what? It doesn't matter. But whatever God's technology is, you can swear you're not going to say it. I'm not opening my mouth, blah, blah, blah. God get the poking. <clears throat> Next thing you know, you're gushing. You're like a, you're like a well. And a gush, you're just gushing. And you're trying to tell your heart to shut up because you know it's telling on you. <laughs> it's telling on you. And the Lord is snatching those words. Uh-huh. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. All right. This is where we are. So you have already, that is why. Jesus. <laughs> you couldn't even ring it though, good, could you? She couldn't even give it a good ring. But think about it, because we, we, God already knows that we are going to do what we did because he is already at our omega. He's not just at his omega. He's in our alpha before we were born. What did he say about Jeremiah? Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. So Psalm 139, the days are fashioned for me. Look up the word fashioned. It is not your attire. The days 
fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. So at in your in your realm, zero day zero is in God, and He's already taken inventory of everything that is in you because you must fulfill what He put out there to be you. So here we are. We're like, okay, well, I won't fear. Mm-mm. And God talked about them. He said, but the fool says in his heart there's no God. Can you imagine that somebody has already said you are a fool before you hit the planet and discovered your foolishness? Well. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't even discovered your foolishness. And it's right, documented. It's already in writing. You will be full of foolish talk. You will do foolish things. But a few of the things you have are needful, so we will tolerate your foolishness until we're done. And when you have done everything we want, then you become the man, the wine, the vine, the vineyard owner. Okay. I'm going to, I have done so well. I've got all of this prosperity. I am really, I mean, I'm it wealthy as I want to be. This is great. And I'm, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to tear down my small storage houses and I'm going to build bigger. And God said, you fool, this night. Your soul is required of you. Now, he didn't even live to tell anybody that God talked to him, and he heard it. <laughs> and, and so the cleanness of having fear in God endures forever. And this is the judgment of the Lord are true and righteous. They're true and righteous because of what I said. A, a person who builds a computer will tell you every flaw will tell you what it will do, and will tell you this and that. And it will do that until we got to today where it will repair your computer and you didn't even know it was wrong. But somewhere it's, it's listed. It's there. Okay? It said more to be desired are they. What are they? The, the, the judgments of God. Gold, yea, then much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. When you're in love with someone and you trust them, you know, you hang on their every word. That's how come God knows whether you love him or not. Because when you're in love, you hang on every word. You're going to tear down the world for your love. You understand how that goes, baby? That's why. And, and it takes you a lot of years to realize you shouldn't have loved that. <laughs> that was wasted love if ever I saw it. But at the time, nobody can tell you. So when God judges you about not loving him properly, he's using it based on his record of how you treat that which you love. First place, nothing's too big. No ask is too great. No need, no demand. There is no inconvenience. When you are in love with someone, you, they cannot inv- inconvenience you. You will inconvenience everybody, your company, your mom, your dad, and everybody, because I'm in love. So when Jesus defines love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, mind, body, and strength, he's talking about what people do. When you look at there is, I, I want to say it's in Ecclesiastes, but it talks about love is as, jealousy is cruel as the grave. When you're in love, jealousy is as cruel as the grave. What will a man give for the object of his affection? He said he'll give up to the half of his house. That's how God judges our love for him. I don't want to give God a tithe. And he's saying, if you love me, you wouldn't be limited to a tithe. A tithe would be too limited. Because when you love someone, you shower them with love and affection. You can't buy enough, spend enough. You sacrifice yourself. 
That's how God can tell you who loves me. What did he say to Peter? Peter, love me more than me? Yeah. Yeah, Lord. Tell her. Okay. If the Lord has to come back two and three times, you probably didn't answer right the first time. What do you think? What do you think? Hey, social media, what do you think, Facebook? Well, you've got to be asked that many times. As a matter of fact, if he has to ask, then there's a problem. So he goes, Peter, if you love me, what did he say? Does anybody remember? Feed my sheep. And then he asked him again, just in case Peter had a problem with kids. <laughs> Peter, do you love me more than feed my lamb? But then he says something to Peter to let him know he knows Peter's love is rickety, wobbly. He said, right now, you're in your strength. You can do anything you want. You can go anywhere you want. But when you're old, they're going to pluck your eyes out, and you're going to have to be led around. Because Peter always felt he saw and that he saw more than Jesus, and he saw better than Jesus. Moreover, by them is, see, all of this here, this is, this is one of my favorite um, passages in the Psalms, but all of this here, he said, is by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them, there's great reward. Who can, now here's what I wanted to get to. Who can understand? Is that powerful? You think you know your average. You think you know your flaws. But that is not God. God says you don't, you can't even understand your errors. Because who knows their heart? The heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately. Who can know it? You can't know your errors because you can't know their source. Because you can't know their substance or keeping them alive. And then he says, cleanse me from secret faults. Now, you know we're in trouble. Secret faults, yeah, yeah, we're in trouble. God help us. So I needed you to just get a handle of all of this so that you can know what we're talking about when we say the, the law of God. I want you to walk away. The major takeaway to walk away is that I want you to understand that the law is righteous and the prophets are God's truth. And that's God's prophets. Now, and I'm saying this because just any, everybody who speaks and says it's the name of the Lord doesn't mean that they're on God's team. But Jesus gave us the model, the, model, the template, the prototype of prophets. The whole Bible, he said all the prophets. And everybody, he didn't say every prophet. He said all his prophets. And God's prophets speak the law of God and the truth of God. They speak according to their predecessors. And so the law and the prophets are, are paired in God's mind. Okay? And, and this is where I am right here. Scripture paired the law and the prophets. Seven times, seven times, prophet law and prophets are paired. At least seven. I think it's about ten because they vary the language. So Moses, and so when we did, we already did Moses seven twelve. Uh, Moses Matthew seven twelve. And the reason I say that because Moses was the specimen, but Jesus came as the fullness. And he came as a prophet. And I keep saying that because we have to beat down this lying spirit that says prophets 
don't, you know, they can just say what they want to say and do what they want to do, or they don't exist, and they're not in the New Testament, and they're not in the church. When everything in Scripture is saying, you can tell these preachers have not been in Bible. They've been in books about the Bible. And it says here, um, talking about Matthew 22, 40, we did that. And then we went through all of these. And then um, I want to talk, about, talk to you just quickly in Acts 13, 15, and it's saying, is that 15? Yeah. Okay. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Every service for them was to get an element of the law that affected the community or benefited the community, and they had to learn how that piece of the law, the law dovetailed with the prophets or how the prophets brought that. The law came to a prophet. And he talks about prophets from the foundation of the world. And so everything that we're saying is about that. Now, here's why is it a big deal. Because most times you people are going to what they're calling prophetic classes, and they're not doing anything but going to prophesier sessions. Because it takes a lot to learn to be a professional of this order, of this high order. It takes a lot of ability, attributes, experience, training, trials, and error. We always say, well, God doesn't do it with trials. Yes, he does. As a matter of fact, the world still does. They got interns. <laughs> Don't think they have interns. And then they have apprentices. And I don't know what else all they have. If you know, but I don't know. But they have an internship program because they want to know how well their education will fare in the public square. We want to go and say, because we heard something, and we got to take your word that you heard it because we don't know that you didn't read it, okay, or pick it up from somebody else, because we can't find the precedence for what you're saying or the fullness of what you're saying in God's word. Last one, Acts 3.21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So doesn't that say that the law is over? Mm-mm. It's saying, he said, without the law. In other words, without that earthly mosaic government. So you have to realize law equals government. So without the mosaic government, But yet, God, what the law and prophets spread and disseminated during the era of that government. You see, it's a little different now. Without that government, but what they said is witness. So Jesus Christ and his salvation and the new creation, they are witnessed as God and as true because you can find their precedents or prophecies in the law and in the prophets. Mm-hmm. It's very important that you recognize it. And the church, because it's without its prophets, and the prophets that it does have are all wrapped up in communications and utterances and predictions, you can't understand all of the other things that I just read to you about the testimony, see, the law of the Lord, the testimony of God. Isn't that something? And then we have, um, excuse me, making what, the statutes of God. I did all of that because I wanted you to see. That's why I framed them. All of this goes into being an effective and accurate prophet of the Holy Ghost, of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay, who can understand his error. 
and prophets are supposed to get into your errors, and we're supposed to get into your faults, and we're supposed to get into your selfishness, and we're supposed to get into your nonconformance. We're supposed to do that because of Hebrews thirteen seventeen. We have to watch out for your soul. All of Ezekiel is about what the prophet is to do with the soul God's entrusting to their care. All of Ezekiel. Okay, prophet, if you tell somebody that I'm hot and they hear you and obey, then they've done well and you've saved yourself. But if I tell you and warn you and you don't tell them what happens to them, because we, we, we kind of think if we don't say it, that we can kind of restrain it. But what happens to them is going to happen to you. I will literally charge their calamity to your hands, and you will have blood on your hands because of it. That's prophets. So you get all, you know, we get all huffy and puffy. No, no, we are not your therapists like that. We are not your counselors like that. We are God's therapists for the curing of your soul. 